you know, long-term investors with with a bit of risk capital should absolutely be playing in that part of the market. If anything, it's just bloody good fun. Um, but when it comes to, you know, you still want to pick the good ones. You want to pick the winners. You want to pick ones that are hopefully going to, going to you know, supercharge your portfolios. If, when, when you look at some of the companies in this space, and there are a lot, and, and I know you cover a truckload of different companies and different stocks. What are, say, maybe the, you know, a couple of the key points that you look for when you're trying to figure out Okay, what's what's the best one to recommend to my subscribers here, um, or you know what are the, what are the ones to avoid? Okay, well, yeah, I mean it's a, a pretty challenging question, and we looked at a lot a lot of lithium companies and and settled on I think three in the last year. Uh, the first one was welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. I am your editor, Sam Volkering, here with my co-editor, Kit Winder. Thanks again, Kit, for joining us this week. Now, I'm going to kick off today. Um, so this morning, I've been on a 90s journey uh, audibly, which means my music selection for this morning has been consisting of of some of the great bands of the 90s, uh, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Foo Fighters have been in there, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Bitter Lenny Kravitz, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, at the time I was listening to this music, I also happened to be looking at uh, some interesting developments in the price of lithium at the moment. Now, we'll circle back around to that in a moment, but it got me thinking, Kit, what was lithium doing in the 90s? If we wind back the clock 30 years ago, what was the lithium market like in the 90s? Now, I'm going to ask if you know, I don't expect that you necessarily do, but do, do, you, do you have a rough idea of what was going on in the lithium market in the 90s? Uh, I have no idea. I must have. <laughs> okay. Well, no, the, the, the short answer is not much, right? So I thought I'd have a bit of a look around and see exactly what was going on. And um, I found a little bit of information that had the price per kilowatt uh, per kilowatt hour, sorry, of of lithium ion batteries was up around eight thousand dollars, which is quite extraordinary. Because in the subsequent thirty years, and I'm just checking out the the chart as as I as I speak right now, it basically from 1990 to the year 2000, it went from about eight thousand dollars per kilowatt hour down to two thousand, and it kept heading down and down and down and down and down and down to what is today, um, and now this is from The Economist, um, and it says, in, in the early 1990s, the storage capacity needed to power a house for a day would have cost about $75,000, and the cells would have weighed 113 kilos. Uh, today, the same amount of power delivered at a cost of less than $2,000 from a 40-kilogram package. So in short, in the last 30 years, which relatively is quite a short period of time, uh, the price of lithium has absolutely been cratered, um, but in a, in a good way, right? So that means, you know, we, we can develop lithium-ion batteries for EVs and for home storage and for all our smart devices and so on and so forth going forward. However, when I look at the price index of lithium over the last what is it now? I'll, and I'll bring up another chart. Over the last couple of years, I can't figure out exactly what's going on in the market, Kit, and I need some help. And I think people listening and watching 
this today needs some help. And this is where I want you to come in because if I look at the lithium price index, uh, and I've got a, a, a chart again here that I saw this morning where from sort of 2015 to around early 2018, the price went sky, skyward. And then from 2018 to realistically the end of 2020, it kind of cratered out. But it has absolutely gone bonkers in 2021 and is peaking in 2022. And I can't understand why the price of lithium is absolutely skyrocketing um, and what that means for EV manufacturers, for smart device manufacturers, for all kinds of lithium intensive industries. Should we expect lithium's price to increase? Is this good or bad for the energy transition? Or is this, is this a market where the prices are going to stabilize? Is it a boom and bust market? I can't figure it out. Tell me what the hell's going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's quite a lot going on, obviously. Um, I can only really speak with, with confidence on the last couple of years. So I'll start from there. And the first thing to say is, you know, when it comes to uh, lithium going into batteries, going into cars, this is sort of how uh, disruption often works, where for the electric vehicle to become economically viable and to burst onto the mainstream, a whole host of other things needed to happen. And one of those was the the cost of lithium batteries coming down. Uh, and lithium batteries, as you say, even just in the last 10 years, have sort of fallen by 90%. And, and Bloomberg New Energy Finance are the, the top people for tracking that price. Um, and by doing, by through that cost decline, it sort of unlocks the EV revolution in that nice way. I think the smartphone is another good example one of the greatest disruptions ever, but without touch screens, without tiny lithium batteries. And really it was the smartphone lithium ion battery that kickstarted then the EV revolution because suddenly all these people were working on the technology. So that sort of unlocking process of battery costs coming down, leading to the EV revolution is super important. And it, the EV revolution, you know, in the chicken and egg way is sort of what's causing lithium prices now to explode again uh, at the same time as battery technologies are getting cheaper, if that makes sense. So demand for lithium is going up. But because everyone is working on the battery packs, the technology for manufacturing the battery goes down. And uh, there are various sort of economic laws or guidelines around this, which Cathy uh, Wood talks a lot about. But basically, when the manufacturing capacity for something goes up, uh, the cost of making it goes down. And that's a classic sort of economies of scale argument where you know, if you buy one dairy milk from your local corner shop, weirdly, it's like 90p now. But if you were to buy 10,000 uh, or 100,000, if you're saying to to sell them, you can buy them for 40p or something. Uh, and the same is true with manufacturing. So that's how the cost of the battery packs comes down as projected and current demand for electric vehicles goes up. And I think electric vehicles sales have exploded in the pandemic. They're now going to be 6 million electric vehicles sold in China next year, market share is doubling in all the major markets, Europe, America, uh, and China. So that electric vehicle ex explosion is happening. It's bringing the cost of the battery down. But you are right to point out that lithium prices in 2021 went up fivefold, so 400%. And, you know, we spoke about this maybe a year ago. And at when they doubled, we were talking about is this the end? Or is this a long term trend? And it definitely is a long term trend. And I look at the clean energy space, the tech companies in the in the clean energy transition, and you look at cryptocurrencies a lot, Sam. So we're both very used to the concept that in the early days of megatrends, there's a lot of volatility. So what I think we're basically seeing 
what we saw in 2015-16 was the start of a bit of electric vehicle hype when people said we're going to need so much lithium there isn't enough sort of current supply there are there are a few major lithium manufacturers they mostly operate in the lithium triangle in south america uh in sort of argentina around that area uh almost all of it is refined in china which is a, a big concern um but currently basically supply is relatively well established among a few majors and suddenly in the last two years an explosion of junior miners have cropped up trying to take advantage of the the ev mega trend and so the the volatility that i described is just sort of prices can get very exuberant and very depressed in short order so as you said 2015-16 huge bull market and then huge depression and now another huge bull market and what we'll see is over the next 10 or 20 years there will be a steady long-term uh trend which is yet to be figured out i mean i was about to say uptrend but we don't know that um but for the time being people are still you know whipsawing this way and that trying to figure out are we going to be in a huge undersupply probably yes um but that might only last a couple of years and then all the junior miners will come on online in sort of 2024 2025 and suddenly there'll be a massive oversupply and sort of that's the sort of volatility you get in the early stages when manufacturing capacity for electric vehicles is just ramping up hugely and then energy storage going into homes as well and then maybe even larger scale storage systems for uh, i wouldn't say whole national grids but maybe smaller micro grids lithium could be appropriate for the thing that worries me is that when i see a chart like you know like you say the, the prices is virtually fivefold higher in 2021 and 2022 has not slowed that down i see a chart like that and it tends to make me want to think that that is not far from moving the other way because it doesn't matter if it's crypto, it doesn't matter if it's the stock market, it doesn't matter if it's lithium price. Those kinds of parabolic moves that are almost a vertical straight line up do not last into eternity. They, they you know, It's hard to pick tops in these things and maybe it continues to double again from here. Or maybe it turns that corner very quickly and that the fall is as sharp as as the rise has been. When you look at when you look at it, do do you do you think that if the price does tend to come back on that it is going to be a prolonged thing? So it's kind of like we've gone up the clip face and now we're just kind of gradually gonna come down the hill, or it's kind of like we're gonna go up the clip clip face and then abseil straight back down the clip cliff face. <laughs> uh I wouldn't dare to uh, make such uh, price projections in terms of sort of steepness or, or or anything and I do think it's entirely possible that it does continue maybe for another year I think an example though would be the gold market where just as an aside like when the pandemic hit uh, gold started rocketing up and it had a great year in 2020 anticipating the inflation that then came through in 2021 and gold was rising a full year ahead of when or two years ahead of when the the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of America, realized that inflation might actually be a problem. And so it's it's a highly, you know, there's a lot of anticipation in the market, sort of one to two years. So I, I could see lithium prices continuing higher for a while, but they will mellow out well in advance of the supply-demand imbalance um, sort of rectifying itself. So just don't think that you can wait until supply and demand are actually imbalanced to stop buying lithium it will catch on a lot quicker than that just when it senses that in a year or two 
five big mines will come online and maybe electric vehicle sales, maybe they slow in 2023. I don't think they will, but maybe. One thing I've learned from my experience in resource markets is that when you get a spate of junior anythings come online, whether it be gold miners, rare earth miners, copper, cobalt, nickel, aluminium, scandidium, whatever it might be, lithium, that ultimately a lot of them fail. <laughs> and so my, but having said that, a lot of them deliver extraordinary returns before failing. Um, so there's always opportunity in the market. I, I guess I wonder when it comes to this market and the kinds of companies that operate in it, what is what is the sort of right way to play it? Is, is it that some of these junior miners are actually onto something and that there is opportunity for investors to get on early, perhaps in anticipation of, you know, tapping into a rich vein of lithium in some obscure part of the world that's not China? Um, or is it the bigger players? And do these bigger players, do they, you know, do they restrict, do they withhold, do they somewhat control that price of the market with the onboarding or, as I say, restraint of supply to the market as well? Sort of wonder where, or is there is there a sort of happy medium between a balance of the big players and some of the smaller, riskier juniors? I like the way you described that sort of some of the bigger miners might control supply and sort of manipulate price like that. It sounds like the formation of the new OPEC, because obviously lithium is the key energy commodity of the future and, uh, you know, all the oil market bulls, and I imagine there'll be a few listening given what's happened in the last year, uh, have been getting super excited about the oil price going to $90. Um, but as you say, lithium uh, is still an energy commodity. It's still inflation resistant and a cause of inflation as we're seeing, um, but has done even better. But I don't, I don't suspect that there's an OPEC lithium forming quite yet um but, but to your question um i think you just have to sort of balance risk and reward in the usual way i mean if you're going into the junior miners as you say there's great potential and the capital cycle is the capital cycle whatever industry you look at so as you say when money floods in when a hundred junior miners are trying to meet demand maybe there's only demand for 50 new mines and half of them are going to fail and so the equation when looking at juniors is often to diversify more broadly and expect that the returns from your winners will outweigh the losses from your losers, which will be more more sort of common. And that's how private equity works, right? You have a portfolio of 100 companies and maybe two or three, if your private equity do really brilliantly and, and counteract all your losses. With junior miners in the lithium space, maybe you're looking at sort of 50-50, who knows what it's going to be. And if you want, you can look at your BHPs and your Glencores who are trying to divest away from fossil fuel assets. They're trying to move into energy transition commodities. They see which way this is going. And it's obviously going to be a very slow process. Bringing mines online takes five to eight years, whatever it is. And selling out of coal assets is, is its own challenge. But uh, they will be trying to transition and they are stable. They have current dividends. And so if you want to do that, you can maybe be a bit more concentrated about it. But it's just recognizing how, you know, diversification is going to work differently with bigger players who are transitioning and with smaller junior miners and then the risk risk reward that's associated with with those two options. I, I, I do love I love junior miners and I love I love small speculative. I do love the penny stocks of the resource world. Um because they are they're they're exhilarating. They can be exhilarating. And they can be heartbreaking as as well at the same time. Much as I like, you know, penny stocks in biotech or 
uh, a whole bunch of crypto or whatever. I, I do thoroughly enjoy that part of the market. And the, the, I think that, you know, long-term investors with, with a bit of risk capital should absolutely be playing in that part of the market. If anything, it's just bloody good fun. Um, but when it comes to, you know, you still want to pick the good ones. You want to pick the winners. You want to pick ones that are hopefully going to, you know, supercharge your portfolios. If, when, when you look at some of the companies in this space, and there are a lot, and, and I know you cover a truckload of different companies and different stocks. What are, say, maybe the, you know, a couple of the key points that you look for when you're trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's the best one to recommend to my subscribers here? Um, or, you know, what are, the, what are the ones to avoid? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, a pretty challenging question. We looked at a lot, a lot of lithium companies and, and settled on, I think, three in the last year. Uh, the first one was quite easy. It had the quite highest quality resource and it was the closest to production of um, the high, high, higher quality um, resources. That's now been bought out. Um, but then we sort of start looking at things like uh, jurisdiction. So this will be very familiar to, to people who look at the gold mining space. You're safer going with Canada and Australia than you are with uh, some of the more politically fraught locations for gold mining. And the same is true for lithium. Uh, Argentina has a variety of, uh, I guess, legal and regulatory challenges to the exploitation of its resources by foreign companies. And there are forces trying to make sure that taxes go up or that licenses are harder to come by. And you have to be very careful about that. Um, and the the security of supply chains is is now a massive issue. So I mentioned that China has a very large portion of the refining of lithium. And I think it's about 70%. For, for other of the key battery metals like cobalt, nickel, rare earth metals, it can be even higher. Um, so I think at one point the rare earths, it was, it was over 95%. It was only like, there was only earth. really one refiner outside of China and that was in Malaysia, which had some pretty yeah. lax environmental standards and then nice. that caused its own problems for the, the, for the company that owned it. Mm. Um, so jurisdiction will, will be a key one. For example, if you can find a company that is refining lithium within North America. I mean, you can just bet your bottom dollar that Joe Biden is going to give it his full full support. Um, I know Alberta, for example, in Canada, it is an oil and gas hub. And so as a result, it has all of the sort of regulatory permitting uh, apparatus for, for mining operations. It has potential pl potentially plentiful lithium resources. And it has a whole load of people who are about to maybe struggle to find 10-year contracts in the oil and gas sector as that part of the energy industry winds down. And they have the skills and the experience to know exactly what to do with a mining operation. And there's even some some wells, I think, in Alberta that have lithium alongside the oil, which is cool. Um, so jurisdiction is a key one. Uh, then again, I, I mentioned it just in terms of diversification. There's a proximity to production element where there are just hurdles the further out you go from production to do with feasibility studies, pre-feasibility studies, partnerships then. So a lot of the battery makers um, will want now to partner with a lithium miner. And that, that could be with a bigger one to secure supply, but whether it's uh, Cattle or Samsung or whoever's making the batteries, uh, they will want to secure, so they will make partnerships with junior miners before they've entered production to help test those metals. And I think there's also a thing where the exact chemistry of the lithium that you produce is specific then to a certain kind of battery technology. So, for example, a battery maker will want to partner with a junior miner early 
so that it can ensure that it gets exactly the right chemistry out of that mine for its batteries. Um, so that's another thing to look for. And if you have a sort of big name partnership, that gives yeah. you a stronger confidence of reaching production. So it's it's a risk thing again. If you if you want to be super risky, you can look at small, tiny miners with no partnerships and no pre-feasibility pre study. You basically just have land and hope. Uh, and that's how you get 10,000% returns, I suppose. But uh, if you still think that one or 2,000% or a few hundred percent is an epic return, which I do, you can go closer to production when they've had their feasibility studies done, when they've started to look at partnerships with battery makers and are operating in safer jurisdictions, then maybe that's the sort of the mid-risk uh, option. Yeah, when you work, it's funny, you work your way along the scale and it's, you know, you, it's kind of like um, junior insert resource here kind of thing is that it's the same thing for all of them, you know, when the, they've got a plot of land that they've either rented or bought um, they haven't even done drilling yet to even see what's in there. They've just maybe done some surveys from the air with some, you know, fancy tech to just see that there's indications to similar, um, you know, uh, resource-rich areas that that, that might have similar um, similar properties, you know. And then all of a sudden they find something and it's like bang, stock price explodes. Or it's like actually this this resource is an absolute piece of dog pile um, and the, the price tanks like you say they announced like they they got a partnership with a big battery company and for a lot of these big battery companies to throw a mill or two at some of these junior miners is nothing right for, for, for samsung or lg or, or panasonic to throw you know some some money at, at some of these junior miners in the hope that they secure these massive deposits um, and supply is, is 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 not much. So, but the, again, these these are kind of the kinds of catalysts that can see some of these stocks absolutely fly. Like, like I said, it's like whether it's lithium or rare earths or gold or whatever. It's um, it, it is a, it is a fun. I do find it fascinating and fun. And and I, I somewhat I haven't done it for a while, but I kind of miss the days of reading through feasibility studies and, and and understanding all that sort of stuff. But anyway, that's your specialty. And and uh, by all means, everybody that's uh, watching and listening us listening to us today will we'll know that and you know you've got i know you've got some stuff coming up in the in the works so for people to keep an eye on in the not too distant future um around all this and some of the opportunities in this space but um we've gone on probably longer than normal today i find this area fascinating i just love talking about all this this stuff uh and where where it all leads and what's happening now and you know over the last 30 years is just to see the kind of change in how these technologies have evolved and how the market has evolved and how volatile it has become and there's so much more we could talk about and will do in the coming weeks. But anyway, that's enough for today. Uh, thanks again, Kit, for your expertise and joining us. Uh, everybody that's watching and listening, uh, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for paying attention as usual. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. Thanks for watching. Bye for now.